0: everyone, and welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And you know what, Em? I feel like we've spent a lot of time clarifying to people that we are not a Nicolas Cage podcast. And we're making it a little difficult for ourselves in this one? Uh, yeah, we are kind of completely going back on our word today. Um, So welcome to Nicolas Cage Hunt. <laughs> see what i did there
1: <laughs> i i do it it was very creative um <laughs> yeah so we're gonna be talking a lot about some nick cage films today but as aubrey said we're a national treasure podcast so we are pulling things back around
0: Yeah, so the whole point of today's episode is actually one that I think has been fairly well requested in our social media sphere. This idea that National Treasure is but one subsection of Nicolas Cage's extensive catalog. And so, since he's played so many different characters, so many roles, so many plots, can we actually compare Nicolas Cage in National Treasure to Nicolas Cage in other Nicolas Cage films? And that's really what we're going to be doing today. But before we get to that, we obviously have to begin the same way we begin every episode, acknowledging just how deep we have fallen into National Treasure's very own pit, specifically the pit beneath Parkington Lane, the pit that claimed Shaw's life and is really trying to take over ours as well. These are our screams from Parkington Lane. (laughs) And Emily, I really feel like we would be remiss if we did not issue a joint scream today because at the time of this recording, which is just after 4th of July, 2023, we are just coming off of one of the most exciting things we've ever done with National Treasure Hunt.
1: Yeah, uh, we just went and had a talk and book signing and introduced national treasure at the National Archives, like in DC.
0: Yeah, like the McGowan Theater at the Archives. We had at least 100 people at this talk of ours. We, I don't even feel ashamed to say it. I'm so honored to say it. We have been told that it has been one of the most well-received public programs they've had in a long time. Um, And our book sold out of the gift shop within minutes of us finishing our presentation, I remain stunned in the most grateful way possible.
1: Yeah, man, it it was crazy, and I know, like, little behind-the-scenes info here, like, Aubrey and I always get a little concerned that, you know, we're gonna go and we're gonna do these events, and we're gonna kind of, like, for lack of a better word, like, black out, <laughs> and come out on the other side and just kind of be like what happened and not actually like enjoy it. But I think it's pretty safe to say that we both very much enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. And there's so many highlights from that, that whole experience, but the one thing that I don't think I'll ever forget, which we thankfully have captured on video, was during the actual national treasure screening which was a packed house, three hundred people, reacting in real time to every moment of this screening. We have captured on camera the moment that Nick Cage says, "I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence," and everyone is like cheering.
1: It was the yeah. coolest thing. It was, it was amazing uh, to to be able to kind of like be in the room. For that And Aubrey, I know you said you haven't had the opportunity to really kind of be in a theater with a group of people who that size, who are watching, you know, a movie that is well known and has been out for a while. Um, so I'm really glad that you finally got that opportunity to experience that. And it definitely exceeded my previous experiences with other movies.
0: Mm-hmm. I love to hear it. So uh, that's our joint scream this week. Um, Before we go further, we also have another little reminder for you all. And that is, I guess, the latest dive we have taken into the National Treasure Pit that is collaborating on the creation of a candle. Yes, you heard that right. We are working (laughs) with the woman owned candle company, Cleo. And we have created a candle based on the olfactive history of Independence Hall at the time of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Now, you can go to explorecleo.com to order that candle right now, but I kind of thought it would be fun to reflect this week on how we chose the theme for that candle.
1: Yeah. Um, We, I feel like, had a handful of ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, We tried to pick some important moments in... The National Treasure franchise that were also, you know, firmly planted in history, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I mean we we knew it had to be a pretty pivotal moment. Couldn't just be like, you know, the smell of Buckingham Palace or something for a National <laughs> Treasure related product, um. And I think we kind of hit gold or put pen to paper. Put put quill to parchment, maybe? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and it was really exciting to work with Cleo on this because it's such a departure from the historical eras that they're typically accustomed to working on with their candles. Um, so we hope you guys will check it out. Again, that's explorecleo.com. And you can find out more information about that as well as everything else we have going on on our social media.
1: Yes, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at N.T. Hunt Podcast. You can find everything else about us on our website, nthuntpodcast.com. And you can go ahead and if you have not yet already, order our book, National Treasure Hunt, One Step Short of Crazy at tuckerdspress.com.
0: Um, Y'all, you do want to buy that because we're
1: basically a National Archives bestseller. Yes, this is also true. (laughs) (laughs) And if that's not enough self-promotion, we also wanted to mention that we do have a relatively recent Patreon uh, that has three character-themed tiers uh, where you can get some bonus content. You can find that on patreon.com slash nthuntpodcast.
0: All right, that was a lot of business to get out of the way.
1: But now that we have,
0: it's time for us to dive right into this Nicholas Cage themed episode. Um, I think um, it would be really helpful for us to explain how we went about preparing for this episode because I don't know if I started listening to this episode just as an audience member and heard we're going to go through Nick Cage's catalog I would be terrified because that catalog is really
1: long so this we'd be here for 10 hours yeah and uh, I think it's safe to say you know as much as we love talking to one another and as much as we love making content for you we don't want to be here for 10 hours and we know that you don't want to be here for 10 (laughs) hours for one episode uh so we had to we had to do a bit of narrowing down totally so
0: basically we went through and selected 30 of nick cage's most famous and or recent roles we researched all 30 and then explicitly spent probably more time than we should care to admit analyzing whether there are parallels similarities you know plot consistencies etc between these movies and national treasure and we eliminated any of those 30 that really had no fit and the remainder is what we're going to talk about today we're basically going to find out which movies compare to national treasure based on storyline and based on like nick cage's character or his role and then of course because everyone loves some good old nick cage explosiveness we'll talk a little bit about the quote-unquote nicholas cage factor in national treasure compared to i don't know And would you call them notorious nick cage factor movies
1: uh yeah <laughs> okay cool 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 but i think a good place for us to start uh, before we really get into things is I think we we need to admit <laughs> we haven't seen a ton of Nick Cage films um but we've seen some um so let's let's start there, Aubrey. I'll go first because I do believe your list is slightly longer than mine, okay <laughs> um, of his recent films, I have seen uh the unbearable Weight of Massive Talent and Pig. Mm -hmm. both of which i liked a lot and then very randomly i did see moonstruck um many years ago with my grandmother and that is it
0: wow okay um i already know you're lying because we both watched two of his movies for guest podcast episodes we've done you have seen con air and you have seen seeking justice Or have you not? I have seen scenes. Oh my god. (laughs) From those movies. Oh my gosh. I hope those podcasts are not
1: listening to this episode. They (laughs) know. I definitely told them. Okay. Okay. Okay.
0: So I admit that I have mostly seen newer Nick Cage movies. Uh, I'm definitely of the ilk that. Ever since starting National Treasure Hunt, I have felt morally obligated to see any new movies that he's had that have come out in mainstream theaters. So I have seen Renfield. I have also seen Massive Talent. Um, I've seen Pig. I saw Willie's Wonderland. So those are probably the new ones that I've, quote unquote, newer ones I've seen. And then on the older front, I did watch Seeking Justice because... Of a guest podcast we did. I have seen parts of Sorcerer's Apprentice. Because I think I was in the presence of someone who was watching it. And I didn't really care. But it was like on. You know one of those vibes. Yeah, I've seen Knowing. Which we'll talk about. I saw Ghost Rider Against My Will. (laughs) I also saw parts of Gone in 60 Seconds. And then once again... Because I committed to it, I watched Con Air. And I did like Con Air, actually, surprisingly.
1: Yeah, uh, from the scenes I saw of Con Air, I did not. So that was why I chose not to watch the whole film. Okay, well,
0: I feel a weight lifted now that we have admitted to our Nicholas Cage transgressions, i.e not having seen all of his movies, including, I argue, we haven't seen most of his most famous movies.
1: That's true, but like after the 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 deep dive we uh, at least I have gone into on some of his more famous ones, I don't know if I'm I'm going to. Oh woof.
0: I felt like I I was intrigued by a lot of the ones that I researched. Um so let's let's dive in then. I feel like it is important to lay out what we are comparing these movies to in National Treasure. So big picture National Treasure plot We are focused on treasure. We are focused on US and world history, the Declaration of Independence, the concept of legends and conspiracies. So I think that's a good hook for that side of the conversation. On the side of National Treasure's main character, so Nicolas Cage's role, I think the the main factor that defines Benjamin Franklin Gates is a willingness to do what's considered wrong in order to achieve what he knows is right. He has very strong morals. He's very earnest, determined, intelligent. Um, we know he has degrees in mechanical engineering and history and a certification in diving, so very skilled. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're working with here. So I'm really eager to see, especially... Timeline wise, whether it seems like he was able to pull any experience that he had pre National Treasure into his National Treasure role, or after National Treasure, did he translate any elements of the Ben Gates character into future roles or characters? So I think we should mostly um, go in chronological order today. Do you agree? Sounds good. Okay. So this could get pretty complicated if we didn't do that, unfortunately. Uh, I will note, though, to immediately go out of chronological order, that Nicolas Cage does have experience with historical-type plot lines. And the one example of this that I wanted to bring up is a 2001 film called Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Had you heard of this before, M? I I had not. Really, the reason this was on the list to begin with, because it's definitely not one of his like more famous movies, is because it's one of his personal favorites. He talks about it a lot in interviews and Reddit AMAs and things like that. It's basically a drama, romance, war type of movie. He plays a character named Captain Antonio Corelli. And basically, Corelli is an Italian army officer stationed in greece during world war ii he basically gets chummy with the greek community has a romantic plot line with the the daughter of the local doctor and then there's a component here you know when italy surrenders to the allies he has to defend the greek island against a german invasion so we get this historical element that is certainly not a recreation of history but is very very inspired by it so I thought that was interesting to know and this isn't his only role either in like a
1: militaristic type of vibe (laughs) definitely not but uh I'm gonna I'm gonna get us started here in the chronological order with literally like as opposite from that as you can get um (laughs) which is that I feel like it's worth noting that his first major film was a film by the name of Valley Girl. It was uh it came out in 1983. There's literally like no national treasure parallels whatsoever. Um but it was a romantic comedy. And so I I find it kind of interesting that like one of the you know that the first major film he did was a romantic comedy because he kind of dabbles in that but that i don't think that's what we know nick cage for yeah i mean in the national treasure
0: context some people find the romantic element comedic cuz it seems kind of out of place i know you would not agree to to that i would not <laughs> Root. Okay, so he started as a rom-com guy, oddly enough. What is the first movie that you found in this 30 film list that has any
1: similarity to National Treasure whatsoever? Yeah, so the first film that I found is called Wild at Heart. Um it came out in 1990. Um it is a romantic crime drama. It's actually based on a novel. Um and Nick Cage played um a romantic southern outlaw who uh was named sailor ripley he basically uh falls in love with a woman who is played by laura dern and they go on the run because you know her mom does not want them to be together but also hires people to kill uh, Nick Cage's character huh. and throughout the movie, both before the movie and then during the movie, he is in jail um, mainly because he is defending himself <laughs> against these people. Um, so, you know, one point he goes to jail because he accidentally or maybe purposefully killed a man who had attacked him with a knife but that was somebody that th- his love interest mother had hired um and so it's just kind of like what really struck me about this was this idea that he is trying to do Maybe not the right thing, but but what he considers the right thing, right, of being able to go on and have a romantic, you know, life with this woman and oftentimes acting in self-defense <laughs> and he is getting punished for it. And it gave me very uh, Sidusky, someone's got to go to prison huh. uh, vibes, even though Ben Gates obviously didn't murder anyone because Disney.
0: So okay, I see. So we're edging up on the whole not wrongly convicted, but borderline um questionable use of prison time?
1: Yeah, yeah, questionable use of prison time. I think definitely is where I kind of where I kind of struck a chord with me in this film.
0: Okay, cool. All right. So we're still several years out of national treasure before national treasure at this point. And, and we're only barely
1: scraping the surface of where we could find parallels. When when was the next one? So the next one was actually, that I found was three years later, 1993, a movie called Deadfall. This is a crime drama. And um, this is actually a movie in which Nick Cage is not the star. Wow. So that's like very different, right, from National Treasure from the start. He's actually third build. Um, which is I found extremely interesting. Um, basically, Nick Cage's character's name is Eddie, and Eddie basically plays this kind of like flunky con artist type person who is like always high and on drugs. Um What I will say, is that, one, I found a couple parallels in this, okay, to National Treasure. One of them is that the main character of the film, whose name is Joe, accidentally kills his father in the beginning of the movie during a con in which he thinks the gun that he shoots is filled with blanks. And... It turns out, you know, we get all the way through the movie. Spoiler alert, I guess. um, His father ends up being alive the entire time, so he didn't actually kill his father. But at the end of the movie, because he's angry, he shoots his father with a gun that he believes has real bullets this time. But they turn out to be blanks. Okay. So he doesn't actually kill his dad.
0: I'm so very curious how you're going to connect this to National Treasure. Yes. I, I, ha- I don't know where this is going at all. So
1: my connection here, and it's a loose one, is the Charlotte. So you know how we like to talk a lot about how the Charlotte clue in the very beginning of the film, uh, of, uh, in the very beginning of National Treasure comes back around at the end when they have to use the Meerschaum pipe to access the treasure room, right? No. And it's kind of this full circle moment. I thought that this was interesting because it is kind of a full circle moment with like a slightly different twist on what we had seen in the beginning. So like I said, it's loose. Um, My <laughs> other... My other connection uh, has to do with Nick Cage himself, and this is mainly that, so as I mentioned, Nick Cage was not the star of this film, right? Whereas in National Treasure, he was very much the star, but a lot of, and we've talked about this so much, a lot of the pull of National Treasure is the Nick Cage of it all, right? And Mm -hmm. him playing Ben Gates. So, Nick Cage, not being the star of Deadfall, actually did, like, was very popular among viewers. What do you mean by that? It was popular among viewers.
0: They, they wanted more of him or they wanted less
1: of him? Oh, they wanted more. So, in um, 2017, there was a film that came out called Arsenal... That was described as a prequel slash sequel. I'll explain that in a moment. Starring Nick Cage. Now, Nick Cage, I will say, in the middle of Deadfall dies. Like, his character is dead. And, which makes me think, okay, so this movie that people were clamoring for, right, to get more Nick Cage. This Arsenal film, you know, is probably a prequel no maybe not his character also dies in that film what yeah it's it's extremely unclear what's going on but the main point here is that people wanted more nick cage in a specific role and i felt that that was very national treasure related especially when we look at national treasure edge of history and how he Mm. wasn't in that and people wanted him there so yeah
0: okay that now I see where you're going that I actually like quite a bit Um, I'm looking at the next movie on the list here Em and I feel like the parallels this is probably the most parallelly one in your list in my very cursory glance this is 1994's Guarding Tess yes
1: 100% this is the closest one we're getting at this point um, it's a comedy drama, but basically Nick Cage plays a Secret Service agent named Doug Chesnick, um, and he basically is, as a Secret Service agent, he is required to protect this um, ex-president's like, widow, and she doesn't really treat him like a Secret Service agent. She kind of treats him like, I don't know, he's just like one of the household staff. Um, but everything kind of takes a turn towards the end of the film. I guess you would say in the third act where, um, Tess, who is, um, the person that Nick Cage's character is protecting gets kidnapped and Nick Cage has to go and like solve and put the pieces together of the kidnapping. Uh, he does end up finding Tess. Um, And the two of them seemingly become like better friends after the experience. So from all this, I did have two things. One, which I think is going to be fairly common, right? From a lot of these films that we're going to talk about is the kind of like Ben Gates factor, right? So Nick Cage's character in in this film as a Secret Service agent. Is literally like trying to do the good thing. He is trying to be this morally upstanding, very professional person, and it's it's difficult for him, but he is trying. Um, what else I will mention is that as far as critical reviews go of this film, a lot of people loved the comedic chemistry slash tension between Nick Cage's Secret Service agent and Shirley MacLaine's Tess. Um, the critics said this was a very positive point of the movie and this immediately made me think of both Abigail and Riley as they play off of Ben Gates' character in the National Treasure films because part of what we love about this, these movies is how the cast seem to have this really good connection with one another
0: wow i I can't believe you didn't even mention like the most obvious elephant in the room it's a connect this movie is a direct connection to you know nick cage interacting with like a president adjacent figure yeah i mean and there's a kidnapping and there's a kidnapping of a president adjacent figure he's not responsible for the kidnapping but he is there yeah yeah that that's true what? that's basically when I said guarding tests. I know very little about it. I know the general premise. That's what I was thinking of. Kidnapped presidential figure.
1: Well, I'm trying to go a little deeper, Aubrey. Okay, okay. Okay, well then
0: then what's next? Take take me deeper somewhere else. Where where are we going now?
1: Yeah, this one actually gets like somewhat deep. Um this next one is The Rock, 1996. It it's not really National Treasure plot-wise. But um it's an action thriller. I feel like a lot of people are probably fairly familiar with this one. Um but the general gist is that Nick Cage plays a character named Stanley Goodspeed who is an FBI chemical weapons specialist. Um there it turns out that there is a group of marines and other people who have gone rogue on alcatraz and are holding tourists hostage. <laughs> they literally threaten to like launch rockets that have nerve gas in them unless like money, the government pays money uh, to the families of men who were killed on, you know, missions that they're now trying to cover up. There is one character who works alongside uh, Goodspeed, who is Nick Cage's uh, character. And this character's name is Mason. Now, Mason was previously a prisoner on Alcatraz and is the only person to have known to have like escaped from Alcatraz. So they're like, yes, please help us. And they convince him to do it kind of in like Suicide Squad fashion for those comic book nerds out there. Where he can do it basically in exchange for a pardon. However, the government turns back on their word. Now, I will say that when it comes to the connections that I'm trying to make that are deep, I have one deep and I have one not. Okay? Okay. So my first not deep is that Ed Harris is in this film. <gasps> really he plays general francis x hummel um he is one of the he is basically like the marine general who kind of like goes rogue on alcatraz and like starts this whole thing so he's the bad guy so he's the bad guy Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and then for my like slightly deeper connection At the end of the day, we do get, in this film, this kind of push and pull of Nick Cage's character wanting to be a morally correct person, but also wanting to, like, quote-unquote, do the right thing. So he actually, in working with Mason, this prisoner that escaped from Alcatraz, Uh, He finds out that Mason was, like, a prisoner because he was a British captain who had stolen this, like, very specific film that had these closely guarded secrets on it. And I guess in Nick Cage's character's mind, that, like, was not good enough for him to have been, you know, sentenced to, like, life, basically, on Alcatraz. Um, So Mason ends up saving nick cage's character at the end of the film and nick cage's character lies and says that mason ended up dying in saving him which allows mason to then go free so he's kind of going against right this his his role as an fbi you know specialist but also is ultimately at the end of the day doing what he views to be the right thing
0: so Heartwarming. To, to connect it to national treasure you're basically comparing this to the idea of, of ben gates taking matters into his own hands once the government or like the legal systems that exist have failed the situation exactly huh all i have to say ed harris being the villain here Is that man typecast or what? Does he ever play good guys? Does that Harris play good guys? I actually don't know the answer to that question.
1: The only other thing I've seen him in is Westworld and he was not good.
0: Okay. So we're, we're three for three of the cases that we are aware of. So wait, so was the, the rock was the real start to like his action career. Is that right?
1: It was. Yeah. The next one that was like part of this action thing was Con Air, which was 1997. Uh, so Nick Cage plays a former Army Ranger. So really, he's he's involved in you know the Secret Service. He's involved in the FBI. Now he's an Army Ranger. Like Nick Cage's characters are all over the map here in terms of the military slash U.S. law enforcement ish system. Um, and Nick Cage's character Cameron Poe in Con Air is basically a hero works with authorities to take over a captured prison flight there's not much here honestly that's like super similar to national treasure aubrey seems like she disagrees
0: i do disagree maybe because i actually watched this movie in full (laughs) (laughs) go for it I generally remember feeling like there were a lot of similarities to National Treasure when I watched this in terms of the structure and I think it's because it's a Bruckheimer film. Mhm. So, possible. one of the things um, you know, it it has the it has the whole uh, It has the whole Nick Cage character who is just like caught in a bad situation um, and like forced to be the one to take action because no one else will, um, which is on the surface exactly what National Treasure is just in a different context. But then also I found, you know, we talk a lot about the skills that the Ben Gates character has in National Treasure and how they're the, the skills that he is given And his backstory are like written to be able to justify the movie. I feel like that was the case here as well. Especially with that army ranger background and things like that. He is uniquely capable of being able to take over this plane and like save the day.
1: Yeah. That's a great point. Thank you for filling in where I was lacking. I appreciate that.
0: (laughs) It's okay. I just you know might as well put watching the movie to use, you know? So that's what I'm doing. Okay, Aubrey,
1: I have two more. Okay. So my next one is Bringing Out the Dead. This came out in 1999. This is a psychological drama, so we're starting to get into some weirder weirder stuff. Um, Nick Cage plays a character named Frank Pierce, who is a depressed, insomniac, and burnt-out paramedic. Huh. This movie literally just kind of follows Frank as he goes... On various like paramedic calls for a couple days and deals with myriad different situations. Um it actually ends up that the first person he ends up saving after like months of not being able to save people in this job is a drug dealer. Hmm. And this really struck me as specifically. Kind of related to National Treasure 2. Bear with me for a moment. I recognize <laughs> that there were no drug dealers in that film that we know of. Um, but it's this idea of saving people who some might deem not worth saving. And particularly for me, right, this pertains to to Ed Harris's character, Mitch yeah. Wilkinson, in Book of Secrets. Now, obviously, Ben doesn't end up saving. Mitch, not for lack of trying, but he does give Mitch credit for helping to find the treasure, which I know is something that we've talked about on the podcast Mm -hmm. a lot. And so I thought it was interesting that this Nick Cage character uh, in Bringing Out the Dead was, was starting to, you know, maybe usher in some of these ideas of saving people who you know maybe not everyone would save or give credit to
0: the idea of is everyone redeemable
1: mm-hmm. hmm.
0: that's a really good flag um and honestly a, an additional conversation that we could have about mitch because we've talked about whether he deserves credit but is he redeemable is a very interesting bigger question that we don't have time for today but maybe in the future
1: Yes. And then my last one, Gone in 60 Seconds. Uh, this was in 2000. Now, Aubrey, you did mention that you had seen some of this. Uh, so- some is some is generous. I've seen, you know,
0: aspects, scenes, okay, cool. one might call them.
1: So Aubrey's <laughs> not going to call me out on this one. Uh, but there, there's not a ton here that's National Treasure paralleled. But I did need to mention it. This is an action heist movie um and nick cage plays a character who is a kind of like a ex car thief who you know he he's back in doing the right thing and gets pulled back into the business when he needs to like save his brother's life so obviously that's our like very much doing the wrong thing for the right reasons mm. type thing but the real reason i wanted to bring this movie up is because not only was this another one of the Nick Cage films, or another one of the films that Nick Cage did that Jerry Bruckheimer produced, but our good old pal Trevor Rabin, who you might know from National Treasure 1 and 2, did the music for this film. Hmm. So that's a pretty big connection for me. <laughs> Okay,
0: well, I can't think of a better place to end your research portion of the day, since it's ending on something you care very much about.
1: Okay, so what do you have for me, Aubrey?
0: All right, so I think it's safe to say, you know, you said Gone in 60 Seconds came out in 2000? hmm So at this point, the first movie I'm going to talk about is also in 2000. Uh, ironically, it's, it's not in line with what I'm about to say, but basically the late 1990s into early 2000 cage is now firmly in the I can be an action star space Mm -hmm. and so I think that's why we're starting to see the parallels ramp up a little bit more because I feel like in my section which takes us from 2000 up until present um, I think there's actually a lot to talk about in the movies that were on my list so I'm really excited about this Um, like I said though the first one Bulks this trend a little bit the action adventure trend this is the family man okay so this is a a comedy drama uh where Nicolas cage plays a man by the name of jack campbell long story short jack is a white collar um you know kind of fancy guy he wakes up one day in an alternate version of his life basically predicated on what would have happened if he never left his college girlfriend. So in this new version of his life, he has a blue collar job. He drives a minivan. He has two kids, nothing that is really similar to his quote unquote real life at all. He wants his old life back, but has to eventually learn to like this blue collar existence. He has to learn that money isn't everything. Um, Okay. So that's the premise I feel like where this Jack character gets to is a place much more consistent with the Ben Gates character and that Ben knows money isn't everything, right? He's never doing this. He's never finding the treasure in either film for the money, Mm -hmm. as evidenced by Riley being his contrast, Riley wanting the money, right? And Ben being like, nope, it's too much.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
0: So it's almost like the Jack Campbell character gets to that point. But interestingly, or even so, I feel like Ben Gates could probably learn something from this family man character, specifically in terms of repairing the strained relationship between Ben and Patrick that exists before the timeline of National Treasure, right? Because the whole idea of, what is it worth to throw away your family and those sorts of connections that you have in your life? Because Ben has clearly done that prior to the timeline that we know in National Treasure.
1: Wow, that's a really good one. If if this is where you're starting, Aubrey, <laughs> I am very excited to see where you go. So please, what is your next one?
0: Okay, my next one is also um, not yet back in the action space. I promise I didn't say that out of turn. Um, the next one is... On a personal note, the movie that I am most intrigued by potentially seeing in future following this research, this is a movie called Adaptation. Um, It came out in 2002. I know this is a very well-known movie. This is probably the Nicolas Cage movie that I had heard of but known the least about um, in advance of this little research project. This is a comedy and drama where I cannot wait to try to explain this to you, Emily. Nicholas Cage plays Charlie Kaufman. Now, what you may or may not know, Emily, is that Charlie Kaufman is a real person. He's a screenwriter. And so Cage is playing a fictionalized version of Kaufman, the screenwriter. Kaufman is hired to adapt a nonfiction book called The Orchid Thief into a movie script. But he has a really hard time doing so because there's just, It's a nonfiction book, right? It's (laughs) uh, not much to do there Mm -hmm. with the content. Um, The movie or the story, I guess that becomes a movie. The book (laughs) is about a rare orchid hunter whose passion for orchids made the author of the book discover passion and beauty in her own life. Like, sounds like a lovely story. Not very movie-esque. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, to be honest, if we were comparing this movie to Pig, it would feel oddly relevant, I mm-hmm. guess. But we're not. <laughs> anyway, the whole point of the movie is Kaufman's pretentious twin brother, Donald, who does not exist in real life, only in this fictionalized version, He, Donald moves in with Charlie Kaufman and they try working together on this project. Okay, so this is like extremely meta this is oh i should mention the real charlie kaufman like wrote this movie
1: i figured
0: (laughs) so this so long story short since i'm sure that was entertainingly confusing
1: that was great
0: basically real charlie kaufman wrote a fictionalized version of him writing a movie about a book in which he adds in a fictitious brother
1: How is this connected to National Treasure, (laughs) Aubrey?
0: Okay, so I really feel like the concept of the Orchid Thief, which then becomes a subplot of this whole adaptation movie, is a bit like the concept of the Gates family's passion for the Templar treasure. Ooh. Okay, Uh, you know, again, the, the author of this Orchid Thief book derived such meaning by finding passion in something and the, the character in the book the orchid hunter himself has such passion for this and I feel like the Gates family is very related to that can really relate to that feeling and it kind of invites the common question what does it feel like to be that passionate about something
1: I think we might have a thing or two to say about that
0: <laughs> perhaps um, I also think it's fair to say that there are Ben Gates type character traits found in both Charlie and in the twin brother Donald. They're very, they're very opposite in terms of their character, but Ben Gates is a fairly complex character himself, right? So in Charlie Kaufman, we see the subdued, passionate guy. And in Donald Kaufman, we see the confidence. We see what I will call the haggis type moments. All right. Love it. And what I haven't mentioned here, Emily. Is that Nicolas Cage plays both roles. Oh, was that not supposed to be obvious? I just, I didn't mention it. Nick Cage plays both (laughs) roles. So maybe if you are already exploring both of these types of character traits, these divergent character traits in two different characters, could it then be easier to bring those traits into a single character in National Treasure? Which is particularly pertinent because what happens next in Nick Cage's filmography National Treasure.
1: Amazing. I don't know. I'm starting to feel like you might have gotten the better end of the, <laughs> the deal with, with with your movies here. I might have.
0: I might have. So we're coming out of National Treasure, 2004, okay. right? We're going to go into what I find to be absolutely fascinating. His next big role here, Nick Cage's next big role, is in Lord of War. This is 2005. And I find it so fascinating because despite the fact that it comes right after National Treasure, this movie and Cage's role in it could not be more of a departure from National Treasure.
1: Would it surprise you to learn that this was not the first time in Nick Cage's career where he followed up a seemingly normal-ish movie? with a complete departure from that.
0: No, I'd believe that entirely. What, what are you thinking of? Oh, you, you, we'll, we'll get there. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm really curious where we're going with this since I researched this whole latter half, so I'm actually quite excited. Don't forget to bring that up again. Anyway, Lord of War is a crime drama where Cage plays Yuri Orlov. Um, before going into the plot, I do want to point out a couple of factoids or or considerations about the character of Orlov right off the bat. Because this comes after National Treasure, again, the character contrast between Orlov and Ben Gates is... Honestly, I couldn't think of a more contrasting depiction, except for if the Croods came right after this. You know, like, animated, <laughs> animated caveman. Like, that's the only way you could get more different. So... Anyway, Orlov is an undeniably bad person. So he is the polar opposite of Ben. He has no morality. You don't sympathize with him. You are not supposed to sympathize with him. He is not written and therefore not portrayed by Cage to give you that sort of, you know, ability even or desire to empathize. Anyway, the movie tracks Orlov's life as an arms dealer and this makes him very wealthy. Um, it also tracks his relationship with his younger brother, his marriage to a famous model, and being pursued by an Interpol agent. And so honestly, the the lighthearted parallel here is that uh, there's a pursuit by Interpol here. And of course, in National Treasury, a pursuit by the FBI. It's just for completely different reasons, right? Like in Lord of War, he's being pursued because he's terrible, And in National Treasure, Gates is being pursued because I guess he technically broke the law, but he was still trying to do the right thing. So, like, Mm. yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The other thing here, though, a little bit deeper is part of, again, I haven't seen this movie, but the reading I did, the watching of clips that I did, I learned that in the end there's really no absolution for Orlov, the character, but there's also no punishment for him. And the commentary is that this person, this type of person does exist in the world and they do get away with a lot of bad stuff. So I did find this to be a really strong juxtaposition to the concept of somebody has got to go to prison, right? In national treasure, because I talk all the time about how much I hate that somebody has got to go to prison line. And part of that is because of how I read into it as like, oh, we just fix all of our problems by throwing someone in jail and calling it a day. In Lord of War, that clearly is not the case. Even though this person actually does deserve to go to prison. Right.
1: That one's going to leave me thinking for a little while. I I don't know if I'm ready to get like that. (laughs) that contemplative about like morality and existence at this time of night um (laughs) (laughs) behind the scenes here um that was amazing is the next one that you're gonna talk about no pun intended uh any lighter (laughs) in terms of connections i had no idea what you were doing with that
0: transition and then and then i got it i got it late okay um if any of y'all are quicker on the uptake than me you will know that The subsequent movie there, I found a synonym, the subsequent movie we're going to talk about is called Next, all right? So Next comes out in 2007, and in terms of release dates, again, I want to put this in National Treasure context here, Next immediately precedes the release of National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets, all right? Next is... Back doing more action it's a little sci-fi, little thriller element to it. Um, Cage plays a character named Chris Johnson um, fun fact, I think this sounds like a really intriguing movie. Chris is a Las Vegas magician who can see like exactly two minutes into the future in his own life um, but there's like this counter-terrorism focused FBI agent who wants to use this unique Talent, if you will, to combat bad stuff in the world. Right? You you might imagine how that would be possible if you could see into the future. You might know how to prevent some bad stuff from happening. Um, specifically, this FBI agent wants to prevent the activities of a group of Russian terrorists, as well as prevent a nuclear attack that is like a threat to Los Angeles. Anyway, long story short, Chris ends up needing to use his talent to save a hostage who happens to be his girlfriend as well as the entire city of Los Angeles and BD
1: seems, seems normal for a Nick cage film at this point.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Honestly, I think it's an interesting premise. Um, There's the silly parallel here, right? Uh, FBI is involved, but more specifically, apparently, and this is something I read online uh, again. I have not seen this movie. Apparently at some point in the film, Cage's character escapes FBI custody and there's like an FBI helicopter surveillance system involved and I was like LOL I know where you got that from <laughs> <laughs> right like the only thing better would be if you had to jump off of a warship or like a, mm. a you know
1: yeah uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway um, the bigger picture here I think is okay so this, the character of Chris needs to basically put his own feelings aside to do something for the greater good. He doesn't want to use his skill in this way, but he ultimately has no choice. All right. So I kind of want to relate this to doing what you don't want to do for the benefit of the greater populace in national treasure. Of course, Ben doesn't want to have to steal the declaration of independence, right? Like he, in his own words, can't even tell you how much he doesn't want to go to prison right that's a quote from the end of the movie so he doesn't want to have to do this but he knows that he has to to protect it for the country because no one believes him he's exhausted all of his options he's done everything that he can and now he has to kind of sacrifice himself in this way and so
1: that's kind of the parallel here very nice now aubrey i will say i took the liberty of looking one step ahead and I also believe that I've seen this next film, but forgotten most about it. Okay, so Slash I, if I haven't, I want to see it. I have seen this movie,
0: and it's funny because what I'm about to say it feels a little similar to to next in that there's this like this future element to it. Um, so I don't know. Maybe if we were doing, maybe if we were a Nick Cage podcast, we would compare next and this movie, which is called Knowing. Okay, Knowing comes out in 2009. Um, in terms of the chronology of the films we're talking about today, this this is the one that happens after National Treasure 2 comes out. For completeness sake, there is one movie that happens in between the two. We're just not talking about it. Um, Knowing, they say it's action, mystery, and sci-fi. If I'm remembering this film correctly, I don't really know why they're calling it action except for the fact that like things explode, but it's not really at the hands of the character, whatever, not important. Um, Cage's character is named John Costler. And Costler is an MIT professor. He's an astrophysicist who basically gets his hands on a string of numbers um, that were kind of pulled out of a time capsule that children buried 50 years earlier. Now in this string of numbers, it's a, it's basically a code and Kostler discovers within that code the dates of tons of disasters that have occurred in the past 50 years and the number of people that died in each instance and at the end of the code there are three dates that remain
1: I have seen this
0: right you did, did <laughs> yeah you- okay
1: this that's pe- all I remember but I know I've seen it people hate this movie I loved it I feel like I saw this as like kind of a child maybe when it came out not i didn't see it in theaters but like it seems weird it seems like this one would have scared me anyway what what's your national treasure uh thing here
0: okay i've got a few all right um the first one i'm always gonna lead off with a silly one if it exists i do feel the need to point out that ben gates has a degree in mechanical engineering from mit so like i don't know ben gates could have taken a class of John Costler's that's fun to think about There you go Um, (laughs) okay the bigger parallel here in terms of character is the intellectual component right so we have the first instance that I've seen where where Nicolas Cage is playing a professor type an intellectual an academic um, outside of his Ben Gates role where you could say it's it's fairly similar in that regard but also the fact that John Costler, in in trying to figure out what this code means, he, in effect, is believing in, like, a legend of sorts or, or some almost conspiracy that everyone around him does not believe. They're like, you are crazy. Um, and I find that very similar to Ben's unyielding belief in the Templar treasure. Hmm. I like that. You know what I mean? It, it's so it's this idea of being ice basically what i can say here is i will talk for nick cage and say that he probably already knows the feeling of playing a character who is emotionally isolated from everyone around him based on the 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 popular belief in something that he believes in very strongly Mm. not then just to to finish up finish this up like the idea of a string of code predicting all major world catastrophes really feels right out of page 47 to me
1: yeah i mean that <laughs> yes maybe that is page 47 could
0: you imagine um and then finally when w- watching this movie previously and then rewatching the trailer john costler is ben gates like mm. it, the way he talks I don't know if you notice this em in watching trailers. Every character cage seems to have like a different cadence, dialect, yep. everything. You could literally take scenes from knowing and be and to me and be like, these are outtakes from National Treasure. And I would be like, Oh yeah, that's Ben Gates. Sure. That's so, really cool. I like yeah. that. So like I, I just have to wonder, did he take pieces of the Ben Gates demeanor into this role? I mean he did just film National Treasure too, after all.
1: Mm, very true.
0: The next one I'll I'll do Really short because you're gonna hear the next one and be like, I, I fail to see the connection to National Treasure. Okay, but the connection I made is just for you, Emily. Okay, um, so this is The Sorcerer's Apprentice 2010, one of his most hated films or like most made fun of films. Action, adventure, fantasy. He plays a character whose name I'm gonna butcher, uh, Balthazar. You know how to pronounce it?
1: It's a, he's a demon uncharned.
0: Oh, okay. Balthazar? Mm-hmm. Balthazar Blake. Basically, Balthazar is a sorcerer in present day New York City. He defends the city from some bad guy. He recruits an average Joe type figure and trains that average Joe in sorcery to help him save the city. And so, again, I would be remiss, Emily, if I didn't draw a parallel here that associates Riley with Ben. Um I love it. Yeah, so I kind of feel like we can compare the average Joe in the Sorcerer's Apprentice to Riley in terms of being the apprentice type sidekicky type figure who yeah. learns who learns from the smarter and more skilled one, which is Cage in both cases.
1: Love it. Okay. Thank right. you for thank you for including that.
0: I wanted to throw you a button.
1: Okay, what's your next one?
0: So my next one is Seeking Justice 2011, which again, we in theory watched previously. This is an action, crime, drama, mystery, thriller, basically all the adjectives besides comedy. Um, And this one I find kind of interesting. I'll keep it short because based on the name alone, the title of the film, would you not think this would have a lot of parallels to National Treasure? Yeah. Or like most of the ones that, yeah. Uh, So did I. Uh not really. Um Cage plays a character named Will Gerard. Gerard is an English teacher who ends up seeking vengeance when a criminal assaults his wife. Um there's this like mysterious organization that tells him that they will take care of, Ie kill the criminal, but will want to ask Gerard a favor in return sometime in the future. And now eventually Gerard is asked to kill pedophile and he does kind of by accident but he learns too late that the guy the quote unquote pedophile was actually a journalist investigating this weird organization mm. yeah it's it's a really interesting movie the ending was kind of boring but the the premise is interesting and and the, the comparison i have here is like could this premise sort of be compared to ben stealing the declaration he kind of ben kind of steals the declaration for ian inadvertently right because ben steals it and it ends up in ian's hands anyway so in a weird way if you think of ian like this mysterious organization he kind of gets ben to do his bidding for him anyway even though ben does it kind of unwittingly like accidentally helping the bad guy
1: oh very interesting yeah okay now aubrey i see you have one more movie here and this is one that i love
0: and one that i do not Mm -hmm. um contrary to popular opinion the world agrees with you emily on this one this is um the most recent one on this list you'll see i jumped from seeking justice in 2011 to pig 10 years later in 2021 um for the record a good chunk of movies that were part of my list did fall between these two movies chronologically, but they're so out there. Everything from Mandy to Willie's Wonderland um, to Mom and Dad, they're just so so out there. They they I couldn't find connections. All right. So Pig was the most recent one where I could find a connection. If you are unfamiliar, I don't really know how if you're listening to this as a Nicolas Cage fan, if you don't know what Pig is, but it's a it's a drama slash mystery um, where Cage was like critically praised for his portrayal of the character Rob. Now, Rob is a former chef turned reclusive truffle hunter and one day his prized truffle pig who is effectively his best friend is stolen and he will stop at nothing to find and hopefully retrieve th- this pig um i feel like it's a throwaway to say that like rob's hunt for the pig is somewhat of a treasure hunt since he does treasure right the pig so yeah. very much the deeper meaning here is i think in the way the character of rob the character of ben gates displays such utter earnestness okay the earnestness with which rob pursues his pig is the same sort of emotion that Ben Gates has in his pursuit of the Templar treasure. And I think this is really evidenced by certain lines in national treasure, just to give you what I, the, the sense of what I mean here. Um, when Ben says things like when, when Patrick is like, the, the treasure's a myth and Ben is just like, I refuse to believe that. Right. You know, um, since you like pig, that Rob doesn't speak really in the movie. Like it's an almost completely silent. Yeah,
1: movie. It's weird, but yeah.
0: Um, but basically the way I would describe this is if Rob did speak, I think he'd sound a lot like Ben Gates in these moments. I love that. So those are my, those are my contributions to this conversation. So I, I do think it's time for us to transition towards the end of this convo, um, where we have to talk about Nicolas Cage being known for Crazy moments, wild outbursts, the Nicolas Cage factor, right? In National Treasure, these moments are are fairly few and far between. They're moments like burned or haggis, right? And maybe there are even some more subtle Cageisms. Um, the way his demeanor is when he's walking into Abigail's office after telling Riley that the Gates family name isn't respected in historical communities, like little mannerisms that you might pick up on. Um, but there's also the element of Nick Cage being kind of subdued in National Treasure that we could compare to probably some of the earlier films uh, in, in this conversation. But Emily, I feel like you're going to say uh, that you're going to contrast Ben Gates to some some roles,
1: hundred percent. So I'm going to be honest. Uh, the the two movies I could have picked out more. The two movies that I picked for this section I am going to go through kind of quickly, just because, like Aubrey said, you know, we we I feel like everybody knows Nick Cage for his Nick Cageisms, right? And this is so different from National Treasure, but also these are kind of like dark. Oh, <laughs> Movies and I I did not like that. So, uh, the first is Vampire's Kiss, uh, from 1988. This is also one of Nick Cage's like favorite films that he's ever done, um, and he he says that all the time. This is basically it's a black comedy, which is basically a dark or a morbid comedy, um, slash horror film. Uh, and Nick Cage plays a character named Peter Lowell. He is a literary critic who basically descends into madness. Huh. Um and it is a journey of that descent. Um kind of just hitting the hitting the main points here. He in his journey into madness, he goes home with a woman one night who the way the viewer sees it is a vampire. Um, and she bites him however when you see his character the next morning he doesn't have any bite marks on his neck and he's talking to this woman and like making her breakfast and this woman is not there like she does not exist so this suggests this like unreliable narrator thing descendant to madness he basically like gets to the point where he's like cutting his neck shaving by accident and then starts to believe this is where the vampire bit him He starts to think he's turning into a vampire, like reflection. He can't see, he's wearing sunglasses. He has this thing where like his fangs don't develop, so he buys novelty fangs. (laughs) Honestly, yeah, honestly, it gets pretty dark plot wise. And ultimately, he dies with a piece of wood through his chest. Um, at the hands of the brother of someone who he um, quite brutally uh, assaulted in his descent into madness. Um, now, the person who wrote this movie, Joseph Minion, wrote it while he was dealing with depression and stuff. Um, but he eventually like stepped back from the role or from kind of directing the film, saying that it was too dark for him. Now, this is kind of weird, because this actually led Nick Cage to dropping out briefly, um, and this was also said to be because his agent thought that this film was not a good idea because of all like the Nick cage of it after he had done the film Moonstruck. So I mentioned early, a little earlier in the episode, right? He goes kind of from one role to another role. In Moonstruck, he's in a movie with Cher. It's like a romantic comedy. I mentioned at the top, I've seen it. He's like somewhat normal. I mean, he's not super normal, but more like way more than this. Um, and so his agent wanted his next Movie to be a big Hollywood like blockbuster, not an indie art film. And Nick Cage was like, No, I want to do this indie art film. Um, National Treasure Connection, real quick Dennis Quaid was actually supposed to play this role, um, and then got tapped to do a different movie. So it, this movie has become synonymous with Nick Cage in the same way that National Treasure has, but. For, um, the Nick Cage of it, it honestly sounds like he got pretty into slash like obsessive about the role, um, and kind of stating character off camera this method acting that we're talking about, um, and it is thought that this was kind of his first foray into his own. Like experimental mode of acting and filmmaking, and I think that's where we see a lot of the kind of cagesms come from in general throughout his films. But this was the first one where he did it. Um, and I will end. There's a quote here from a, an article from The Ringer that I found was like perfect for this. Um, it says. This performance is the seedling from which every great Cage loses his sh** roll subsequently sprouted. Hmm. In National Treasure 1, even in National Treasure 2, I wouldn't say that we're seeing Nick Cage or Ben Gates quote-unquote lose his sh**. But may I remind you of the argument and i put that in quotes because it kind of was a real argument that ben and abigail had on the stairs of buckingham palace um and nick cage really leaned into that from the ben gates character side of things which was so different from the ben gates that you see like in the rest of the film
0: yeah, he does have like just one random moment here and there. I'm even thinking also in the second movie of the, you know, being on the University of Maryland campus moment where his dad was like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, you didn't tell me this. And and Ben goes, well, maybe I didn't tell you because you have a tendency to overreact.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's those types of things. The other one that I want to discuss, and this one's real quick because the National Treasure Connection is is very small here, but it's called Leaving Las Vegas. This was in 1995. Um, this is a drama, and Nick Cage plays a character named Ben Sanderson. Um, no, my National Conne- Treasure Connection is not that his character's <laughs> name was Ben. Really I, thought you were going there. With I that. did say LOL. Um, <laughs> this is also a very dark one. Um, like, quite dark. Um, at, like, method acting to the point where, because he played an alcoholic Hollywood screenwriter, he went and, like, binge drank in Dublin for two weeks and had a friend videotape him so he could, like, learn how to do that. Hmm. Um, so that was really interesting. The I did feel that we needed to point this out because this is the movie that he won both a Golden Globe for as well as an Academy Award for.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And then this is kind of a contrast to National Treasure, which I wanted to kind of point out. This movie was never meant to be a big film. Okay, so this is one of the ones where Nick Cage is doing like his quote-unquote Nick Cage stuff, right? Being super eccentric and out there. And this was supposed to be... A tinier, like more indie type film, but it became this huge hit, right? Mm. And this is so opposite from National Treasure because National Treasure started with a big budget. It had Jerry Bruckheimer behind it, and it did well, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas this film literally like the it it was not even half the budget. <laughs>
0: So what I'm hearing here, Emily, is that Nicolas Cage can do wild, insane, and subdued really well.
1: Yes, and do you have any? I'm I'm interested to kind of see like what what that looks like later on in his career. You know?
0: Okay, so there are definitely some like weird types of roles in the 2000 to present range. So like his role in Sorcerer's Apprentice or his role in Ghost Rider, right? But we know that. Nick Cage really started taking on some more questionable roles as his career started taking a bit of a nosedive, right? It was sort of um, uh, contemporaneous, I guess you could say. Interestingly, of the movies that I researched, there was really no what I would call Nicholas Cage outburst factor that was super evident in terms of those random outbursts that he's become known for. Um, there are some, there are some i don't want anyone coming at me there are some they are not as obvious they are not as relevant to national treasure context as i think we saw earlier in his career and maybe that helps us make sense of why there are fewer of these types of outbursts in national treasure and national treasure too right i mean we pick out the haggis moment and we pick out the burn moment and whatever um and it's almost like remnants of a cage that once was You know, like I get that Mm -hmm. vibe that he's like actively as he's maturing into this actor, he's toning himself down, whether because he wants to or he's maturing as a person or maybe because of the types of movies he's signing on to. Maybe when he's, you know, playing more of these these Bruckheimer roles or playing these Disney roles like a National Treasure, like a Sorcerer's Apprentice, etc., He's put into maybe quirky character roles, but he's not given the same sort of flexibility or freedom to have those like crazy outburst moments. Maybe it subdues him just by nature of the project and who's paying him. You know, yeah, an, an indie film would give him way more flexibility and control over his character, I would think, than like a Disney property. And so I can't wait. I cannot wait to see how he falls back into the Ben Gates role. Like it was so interesting to see Justin Bartha fall back into Riley, and like he did parts of it really well. I thought he did parts of it really not well, also. So like, what's gonna happen when Nick Cage falls back into Ben Gates? I cannot wait to
1: find out. Cannot wait. And I think, I think that's where we're gonna leave you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Waiting. Well, on that waiting for who knows how
1: long. <laughs> so, if you have any other comments about any of the movies we've talked about, if you think there's another national treasure related parallel in a movie that we haven't talked about, feel free to let us know. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We have our website, nthunpodcast.com. And then you can also go ahead and join our Patreon if you would like to help support us in bringing you even more exclusive content.
0: And we are very excited that our next episode for you is going to go back to our roots of comparing National Treasure to other pop culture franchises. And our next episode will compare the National Treasure franchise to the TV show, Blood and Treasure. So until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt.